0: It's Thursday, September 13th, and this is The Daily Dive. The FDA has declared youth vaping an epidemic of addiction and is putting manufacturers of e-cigarettes on notice. FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb has given manufacturers of the top five brands of e-cigs 60 days to come up with new plans to prevent youth vaping, or he might ban the sales of them altogether. According to the latest numbers, more than 2 million middle school, high school, and college students vape. Jane O'Donnell, healthcare policy reporter for USA Today, joins us for more on the epidemic use of e-cigs among teens. Next, in a story that's getting national attention, a murder of a beloved chef instructor was a mystery. Then Portland police arrested his romance novelist wife. The big twist? She once penned an essay that was called How to Murder Your Husband. Shane Dixon Cavanaugh, reporter for The Oregonian, who first reported the story, joins us for more details in this bizarre case. Finally, my producer Miranda joins us for more on this true crime story with a twist of irony and some of the oddest quotes from the Nancy Brophy essay, How to Murder Your Husband. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Not
1: great for people to be addicted to nicotine for a variety of reasons, but it's a heck of a lot better than
0: combustible nicotine in a cigarette. Joining us now is Jane O'Donnell, healthcare policy reporter for USA Today. The Ooh. FDA is coming out pretty strong against the manufacturers of a lot of e-cigarettes. The head of the FDA said that it is a, an epidemic now that teens and young Americans are are using these things in excess. So they're targeting the manufacturers of Juul, Views. Mark 10, Excel, Blue, and Logic, and they're giving them 60 days to submit new plans to prevent youth from vaping. What else did they say?
1: Commissioner Gottlieb, who's a physician, he's a rather calm fellow, and he sounded quite agitated over the whole thing. They've received new data, and they're very concerned, and he's now saying what the, a lot of the public health Advocates have been saying for years that this is an epidemic. So they're fining or hitting hitting a bunch of retailers, uh, dozens of retailers with financial penalties or sending warning letters to those who have been sending, who who have sold to minors. Basically it, it gets very complicated and weedsy, but the simplest way to say it is that these companies were allowed to stay on the market. Some of these companies have products that are debatably, legally or illegally, depending on who you talk to on the market right now. So they're at risk of being taken from the market because of an investigation. They're also at risk of even the ones that that aren't considered new products are at the risk of being taken off the market if they can't prove they're doing enough to keep the products out of the hands of children and teens. So it's, I guess you would call it a multi-pronged approach and pretty much public health advocates uh, who are almost never happy with the Republican administration and what they're doing are about as happy
0: as they can get. I mean, he's given them 60 days to come up with new plans, and if they're not up to standards, then he said he's going to ban the sales of all of them completely so that's a pretty drastic step
1: yes he will if it isn't uh if it isn't up to snuff however that leaves them it's fairly subjective and it's it's leaving in the words of the woman who's the head of the truth initiative leaving it up to the industry to which is in her view the fox guarding the hen house
0: those five brands there that we I mentioned at the beginning make up 97 more than 97% of the U.S. market for e-cigarettes. Juul, which is a huge one in particular, accounts for 70% of U.S. sales. And those are those ones that look like USB sticks. Those are the ones that are very popular with uh, the teenagers. What are some of the numbers that they came out with? Uh, I think they started off with more than 2 million middle school, high school, and college students use e-cigarettes right now.
1: That's the number they're using now. Um, some say it, it's much higher already. Those are the latest statistics. It's growing quickly. And even though the FDA is not releasing what whatever numbers they have internally that are coming out in the next month or two, they say it was quite alarming. We should note that the critics of this and who are the, the people who are vaping and the people who are organized in our vaping are the ones that, generally speaking, have, are doing it to, or have done it to quit smoking. They worried that this could really hurt the public health benefits of that. It's not great for people to be addicted to nicotine for a variety of reasons, but it's a heck of a lot better than combustible nicotine in a cigarette as it doesn't have the lung cancer risks and the heart disease risks.
0: Part of what they're going to look into is weighing the options. Like, it, does it help people move away from smoking enough compared right. to the amount of teens and kids that are using these to actually start smoking.
1: And also, like, to, a step further, could you be creating so many more future cigarette smokers? Some of these kids were saying, yeah, if you can't, once you you become addicted to nicotine, if, if the first thing you can can grab is a cigarette, you know, your battery died on your device or you've lost your device, you're going to smoke a cigarette. So then you're getting back into (laughs) something that is a far greater risk.
0: How have some of these e-cigarette companies been responding so far to what the FDA has said? Well, they're
1: being very conciliatory. They're um, saying they're going to work closely with the FDA. They've got to be worried. They're saying they're going to work with the FDA. They're going to submit these plans. And uh, they, they too, want to keep these out of the hands of you.
0: As you had mentioned, a lot of this has to do with the flavoring because that's what's so popular with the kids. Gottlieb had said that he's prepared to make vaping less attractive to adults if it reduces the harm to teens. So they might take out all flavorings altogether. I mean, they're considering a lot of different steps
1: right and uh there are a certain number of adults who really do prefer to vape fruit flavors or i've heard there's things like creme brulee, but there's also flavors like cotton candy which are clearly not targeting adults but if you were smoking you're obviously okay with with tobacco flavored smoke or at least menthol flavored tobacco so presumably it would still have that benefit if you
0: were vaping one of the toughest things is going to combat how easy it is for kids to get their hands on these things. Obviously, it's tougher to go into a store and buy one if you can't show your ID and show that you're 18 or so. But people are ordering these things online. You noted in one of your stories that if uh, one of the parents' 15-year-old son was able to get it online uh, using their father's name and just sending it to a different address.
1: Right. And they uh, apparently, Jewel did say that they've changed the promo codes, made it a lot harder for someone who receives a promo code to be able to buy without age verification. For example, when it gets delivered, this woman who I spoke to, her son sent it to, I believe it was an abandoned house and or a house that was perhaps vacant for the summer. Oh, my God. But, you know, kids, you know, if they they really want to do it and and they're really addicted and and it it really does affect the young brain, as Dr. Gottlieb has said, (laughs) they're going to find a way to do it most likely.
0: Well, it's going to be very interesting to see what these manufacturers will come up with in their plans and if it's going to be enough where the FDA is not going to come down harder on them. Jane O'Donnell, healthcare policy reporter for USA Today, thank you very much for joining us.
1: Thank you.
2: The sentence that really jumped out at me in Nancy's 2011 essay on how to murder your husband was this line. But the thing I know about murder is that every one of us have it in him, her when pushed far enough.
0: Joining us now is Shane Dixon Kavanaugh, reporter at the Oregonian. We're going to be talking about a story that's been gaining a lot of traction lately. It's a true crime story in and of itself. The person who is at the center of this is a romance novelist who penned an essay about how to murder your husband And now that's exactly what she's been charged with. Nancy Crampton Brophy is accused of murdering her husband. And at the time when he was first killed, his name is Daniel Brophy. It was a big mystery. There was no suspects. It happened very early in the morning. He was a culinary school instructor and there was no suspects at the time. And now we come to find out that she is at the center of this. What do we know about this, Shane?
2: A great place to start is if we go back to early June when we first learned about Daniel Brophy's murder because a killing like that just doesn't happen very often here in Portland, Oregon. Here you have a beloved instructor at the Oregon Culinary Institute near downtown Portland found shot multiple times in a kitchen at the school he soon dies after he is found. And people at the school, both his peers, work colleagues, and the students were completely devastated and thrown for a loop. There were candlelight vigils uh, after his death that were held, stories shared, tears shed.
0: And he was well liked. As you said, hundreds of people turned out to this uh, candlelight vigil for him.
2: Including his wife, Nancy, who spoke very briefly at the vigil as well. But Police, after we sort of reported on the initial incidents, we didn't really hear much from police afterwards. And we were sort of here in the newsroom, scratching our heads for a long time, wondering what the heck could have happened in a murder story. We want to turn to motive. And there just wasn't really a clear one. It didn't appear that he was being robbed or anything like that inside the school. We didn't hear anything else sort of from police afterwards until literally last week when um, Portland police dropped a press release at around 9.30 p.m. on a Wednesday night saying that they had arrested and charged his wife with murder.
0: The judge, it's an unusual step, but they sealed the probable cause affidavit in this case at the request of uh, prosecutors. What are you hearing that's the reasoning behind that?
2: We're not hearing much of anything, which just leads us to assume or speculate things or use our best educated guesses. And generally, in a situation like this, we would take a step back and wonder whether or not there might be another person who is tied or connected to this case. That's one possibility for why they would've sealed the PC affidavit. Another reason could simply be, and I'm not suggesting this at all, but it could be possible that police hadn't really finished their investigation completely, or had locked it down totally, and they needed to make an arrest because they suspected that their primary suspect, in this case, Nancy Crampton Brophy, might have been planning to get out of town or something like that. And so they needed to act quickly and try to get her behind bars if they feared that she might try to bolt or something. And again, I just wanna be clear, we're not suggesting that's the case, but that could be a possibility.
0: Let's talk a little bit more about Nancy Crampton Brophy. Some neighbors that knew the couple even said that it was a little, she was acting weird. As you said, she attended that candlelight vigil. She posted some stuff on Facebook saying, don't contact me. I need to process this whole thing. But a neighbor even said that she didn't show any signs of being upset or sad. And it was, it struck him as very odd.
2: Yeah. You know, that was a, a neighbor we spoke to the day after her arrest was announced Hindsight always sees sort of 2020 20 in these cases, right? A neighbor's recollection might change all of a sudden when they find out that their neighbor is suspected of murdering their spouse. Having said that, you know, the neighbor we did talk to just said that Nancy was acting very strange after her husband's death. In his words, she just wasn't that phased by the whole thing. And also just had seemed that she wasn't particularly bothered by it and was also talking about wanting to get out of the house and move out of the neighborhood. Having said that, I'd also just add that, uh, you know, the neighbors that we did speak to also said that none of them knew the brofies that well.
0: Let's talk but about the big twist in all of this that she was a romance novelist she had a bunch of books called like the wrong husband or the wrong cop and things like that they were all about women escaping their their lives and, and escaping their husbands and falling in love with other people and she also had this essay that was called how to murder your husband this was written i think in 2011 or so it was written Uh, many, many years ago, but she talks about different motives that one might have and different tools that you could use to murder your husband.
2: Correct. You know, it was interesting again when the sort of press release with Nancy Brophy's arrest first went out last Wednesday night. We knew early on just by doing sort of your general fact-checking that she was a writer, but it wasn't until Thursday morning when I got to the office and started looking into it a little bit more that I discovered that Nancy Brophy was in fact a yeah, romance a, mystery a writer right. where these types of crazy murder plots and sometimes the murdering of a spouse plays a central role in these types of stories so that was quite surprising and somewhat fascinating to learn and then i actually was tipped off by somebody that miss brophy in 2011 had published this essay that was uh, an essay that was published for other sort of romance and mystery writers getting into the details or getting into the guts of the best way to pull off the murder of one's husband in such books
0: right as she says i spent a lot of time thinking about murder and consequently about police procedure and so that's why she went on to write some of this stuff and it's a funny thing she says let me clearly say for the record i don't like jumpsuits and orange isn't my color and she locked out she was in a blue jumpsuit when she went into court
2: yeah here in multnomah county which is where portland's located we don't have orange jumpsuits when you're jailed and booked
0: One of the other funny things is some of the comments that were left on that essay, uh, you know, I don't know who these oh. people are or whatever, but someone says, you know, really, who hasn't had the stray thought yeah. about murdering a spouse or a lover? Someone said, I'd always thought I'd be a knife girl. I love how your mind works. And this goes into what she was writing there. She says there's a lot of motives, financial, lying, cheating husbands. They fell in love with someone else. And then she goes into, you know, options to consider your guns, your knives, what kind of strings that, you know, are you str- strong enough to uh, strangle a person? It was just so weird, all these things and how they connect to, you know, what ended up happening in her own life.
2: The sentence that really jumped out at me in Nancy's 2011 essay on how to murder your husband was this line. But the thing I know about murder is that every one of us have it in him, her when pushed far enough, hey, maybe you know, that's the type of thing that um, maybe makes some people positive. Right. And yeah. Speaking from personal yeah. experience, yeah. don't know if I have that in me.
0: Undoubtedly, prosecutors are looking into her past writings. Who knows if they're using these as possible motives or not until they finally released the affidavit, what they think the motives were. But all this stuff just adds to the bizarre, the oddity of what this story really is. The romance novelist yeah. who wrote about these issues, then killing her husband, who was a beloved member of the community, it seemed like.
2: Oh, I want to just stop you right there and say, is accused of murdering her husband. There you go. We're innocent until proven
0: guilty. I'm sure there's going to be a lot more twists and turns until they all figure it out. I'm hoping. <laughs> all right, Shane Dixon Cavanaugh, reporter for The Oregonian. Thank you very much for joining us.
2: Hey, thanks so much again for having me.
0: Oh, man, it's such a crazy story. I'm going to bring my producer, Miranda, in for the rest of this conversation. Thanks for joining us, Miranda. Hey, Oscar. Let's get a little bit more into the essay she wrote, How to Murder Your Husband. We mentioned all the motives earlier in the interview with Shane, but let's go a little more in depth into those. What were these motives?
3: I read Nancy's like primer for how to murder your husband. And I, this does read to me as a writing exercise because uh-huh. I'm laughing during this whole thing. She's pretty funny. This whole story makes me want to go out and buy whatever of her books. Right. But she says in the opening paragraph, if murder is supposed to set me free, I certainly don't want to spend any time in jail, which is hysterical. She
0: said she's thought about it a lot.
3: As a writer of these types of stories, she's got a little... Flowchart basically, of what she considers to be the top five motives for murdering your husband. And the first one is financial. That's pretty self-explanatory. But she, there's a line in here where she says, the drawback our are police aren't stupid. And especially if you
0: married for money, aren't you entitled to all of it? She says you have to be organized, ruthless, and very clear. And from the interview with Shane, when they spoke to neighbors, she literally told a neighbor, I'm one of the suspects. And that pinged in the neighbor's ear as kind of odd.
3: The second motivation is lying or cheating. And those are also crimes of passion. And she's saying typically with those, you stab them with a knife or you bash them in the head, but it's really messy. And who's going to clean it
0: up? For the record, her headline was lying, cheating bastard. Yes. Well, I was trying to clean it up.
3: <laughs> uh, the third reason is falling in love with someone else. And she agrees that usually the financial motivation is there, too. But what's weird is she glops religion into this section, saying, say your church frowns on divorce. You have to be a widow so that you don't lose standing in the religion. Then she goes on to say, it helps if you're not too bothered by the Ten Commandments.
0: Now, obviously, we're just speculating wildly at any possible motives any of these might be, but he was a teacher in a culinary institute. Maybe he was doing something with a student or something. We don't know. Who
3: knows? Abuse is the fourth one. And she goes on to say, this one's tough and anybody can claim abuse. What's abuse? She says that this is a good backup motive for if you do get arrested, you can always throw out the abuse card. She says it's Typical for abused women to not call 911 after they've lit the house on fire with their husband inside. number five, uh, it's your profession. And this is the one that's just kind of silly. She says, now we're talking, you possess the skill and the knowledge and you can cleanly carry off a
0: hit and walk away. How about these options? Because she goes through all of the murder weapons possible. Guns, obviously, they're loud, messy. She says, uh, you got to have a good aim. Knives
3: are super personal and too close up. Blood can get everywhere. She literally says, you. (laughs)
0: Right. (laughs) Uh, Using like a a garrote string or something like that. She's like, you got to have a lot of upper body strength if you want to strangle a person.
3: Heavy equipment, usually involving hitting someone with a baseball bat or a pipe also details poison saying that that's the reason why you marry a doctor so you can have access to pharmaceuticals so you can later poison them
0: easy to obtain worse off though it's easy to trace so exactly probably don't use it writers a lot of times will take their personal experiences and pour that into their books since she has all this kind of source material she's been thinking about a long time who knows what might have went wrong in the marriage or maybe she just reached that point maybe she just got frustrated and didn't want it anymore thanks again Miranda thank you Oscar